know, one of the signs that I think come with a healthy and a Holy Spirit-filled church is how easily we laugh, how often we have fun. And last week, as we were talking about how the red zone, which represents your existence on earth, this, this line represents your existence in all eternity, we talked about how short this was. And how many of you were not here last week? Would you raise your hand? Well, we, we threw up a picture of Michelle Ferguson. We talked about the fact she died at 56. My sister died at 54. Many of our people say they had loved ones that died before the age of 70, before the age of 50, before the age of 30. And life is going to deal you and I some painful moments, some painful times, some trials. We're going to go through heartbreak and pain. But I think one of the cool signs about a healthy church, and one that certainly is spirit-filled, is the fact that you and I can laugh, that we can have fun. There is a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to build, time to tear down. There's a time where there's weeping and there's time for great, great rejoicing and fun. And I think after last week when we all realized that there is not a date that is written on this red zone which resembles or exemplifies your existence on this planet. For Michelle, it was 56. For my sister, it was 54. But you're not guaranteed 70. The Bible, as we saw last week, said that some men come to 70 or 80 years if they have the strength to endure. That wasn't a promise. But what God does promise us is that you and I are going to have a very short life in comparison to eternity and that that very short life, regardless of the years, are going to go by very quickly. Now take a look at the side screen because I want you to see the verse with me. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. I want everybody to read this with me. All praise to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Everybody now, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Well, I believe that we have a football-savvy church, do we not? Okay. You understand the rules and regulations of the game. Do you understand what the red zone is on the football field? If, if you do, raise your hand. If not, I'll explain it to you. It basically is inside the 20. Once the offensive team gets the ball inside the 20, it is known as the red zone. If they get it to the 20-yard line and they're able to convert to a first down, when they get to the 20-yard line, they basically have, the offensive team basically has eight plays to score. That's it. They only have eight plays left. At the end of those eight plays, bar a penalty or anything else happening, they will either score a touchdown or a field goal, or they will hand the ball then over to the opposition. Eight plays in the red zone. That's it. Eight plays. What I want to talk to you about concerning the red zone, representing your time here on this earth, is there's eight super great plays that you have to make for this to be a great life. Now, remember me telling you last week that about 99% of the things that happen in your life are not worth you getting upset about, not worth you being bothered about. They're just gas fireplaces. Do you remember that? So they shouldn't be something that would take away any of your time, your existence, your joy, your happiness, or your fun here. But there are a few things that are so important that if you don't run these plays during the red zone period, your time here on earth, your life's not going to be very good. So that's what I want to talk to you about. But what you can't afford is any penalties when you're in the red zone. You can't afford anything that is going to take away 
time here, take away money here, or take away your happiness while you're living in this very short life that's going to go by very quickly. No penalties can be afforded in the red zone. So here me just give you a few of them. First one, addictions. You cannot afford addictions in this life. It is a waste of time. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your business. And, oh, yeah, it will destroy you. You have no time for addictions when it comes to this portion of your existence, whether that be marijuana, whether that be alcohol, whether that be a prescription drug or a non-prescription drug. Nothing can be abused because you don't have time to waste on addictions when it comes to this very, very short life that you live. Here's the second penalty you don't want to you don't want to be involved in and that's bad relationships. You do not want to waste any of this precious time on a bad relationship. Now listen to me, many of us in this room have done that. We've wasted months, years, weeks investing into a relationship that was going nowhere. Or maybe many years ago it was okay for you in that season of your life, but that relationship is no longer any good. Now, the Bible tells us that we're to love everyone, but not everyone is supposed to be in our inner circle. Jesus had the 120, and then after that, he had 12 that were closer. But out of the 12, bam, he had three. Three that were the closest to Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us that you're to love everybody, yes, but the Bible also says in Psalms 1 that you are not to be getting counsel from the ungodly. The Bible says you're not supposed to be standing around with sinners. That's just going to get you in trouble. The Bible says you're not supposed to be sitting around with those that are scornful or those that are bitter because that's going to rub off on you. And there are some friends that you have in your life, some relationships. Listen very carefully to me. I want to give you permission. Don't be penalized by those relationships. It's time to break them and set them outside of your circle. It's just killing time for you. And one of the ways that you can know that that's true because some of your close friends, if you're not careful, you can have blinders on uh, concerning them is this quote. If you really want to understand what your friends are like, just look at who they choose to run with when they are not running with you. Let me say it again. If you really want to understand what your true friends are like, just look at who they run with when they're not running with you. And if you wouldn't run with those people, don't run with that person because that is who they are. It's a penalty. It'll cost you bad relationships. Another penalty is unforgiveness unforgiveness. Forgive and move on. This has got to be part of your daily regiment, your, your weekly exercise routine. When somebody offends you, you, you cannot waste time not forgiving another person. That's a penalty it will cost you. The next one is idleness. Idleness, you cannot allow the time just to tick off while you have no plan of attack. Idleness is a penalty in this red zone. You cannot afford to have called on you. And then finally, a dwelling on the last quarter. You cannot dwell on the last quarter. You cannot stay focused on a season of your life that is gone. That's why we tell you, we don't care about what, who you're married to 20 years ago. We know you messed it up. We all have things in our life that we wish we'd have done over, but you can't dwell on it. Because when you're dwelling on a mistake you made 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you're not focused on the now. You're missing a focus that is needed for you to go where God has you right now, learning the lessons he wanted you to learn from your past to be able to take you where he wants you to go. So you cannot waste time dwelling on the quarter before the time that you have now. So you have to spend your time in the right now. you got to spend it in the red zone. Eight super important plays that you have to run. And if you run them, 
This life is going to be incredible as long as you keep an eternal perspective. And here it is. Play number one, the most important one, my personal salvation. You have got to have a relationship with God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have got to call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, you should know where you were when you did it, and you should know when you did it. If you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you ought to be able to say, I was in this place and I was that age. And if you can't do that, that causes me to wonder whether or not you have accepted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You have got to lock up eternity by, in this lifetime, accepting Christ as your personal Savior. So since that's the most important play, let's run it right now. Every head bow, every eye closed. If you've never done it, pray this prayer with me right out loud. Dear Jesus, I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins. You're my only way to heaven. I trust you as my Lord. Save me in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, then you nailed that down. Your parents can't do that for you. Somebody else can't do that for you. It doesn't matter if you're raised in church or not. There has to be a time you call that play. Boom, Jesus come into my and Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So write it down. What is today? February the, what is it? So 2-21-16, Red Zone Sunday, you just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be your Savior. That is play number one. You will never have that without this. And you will never have a good this if you don't accept Christ as your personal Savior. Play number two, get baptized. When you get baptized, it's like getting married to a person and then wearing the ring. I want everybody to know that I'm married to a brown-eyed brunette from Texas who is also really good at using a handgun. I want you to understand, I wear that ring for a reason because I'm proud to be a married man to my wife, Anna. But man, when you are baptized, you're putting on the jersey. You're putting on the team jersey saying, this is who I belong to. I am part of this family. And if you have a problem with that, tough. It doesn't matter. I am part of the family of God. I am part of his kingdom. And when you are baptized, it is just you putting on the team jersey saying, man, this is who I am for the rest of my existence in this life. Play number three, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I have a home forever in heaven. I know that. I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But you can't forget about the third person of the Godhead. You can't forget about it. You can't ignore the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given unto you that you might have a greater life than you could possibly have without him. Now, here's the truth. Can you not be filled with the Holy Spirit and go to heaven? Yeah, you can. You're just going to have a really difficult this until you get there. Jesus told his disciples, I'm calling you to go out and speak to the nations, and I want you to do, before you do anything, you go up to the upper room, and don't you go anywhere and screw anything up until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, right? Because Jesus knew they were going to take on a very difficult task. There was going to be spiritual warfare that come against them. Their personality and temperament types were going to fight against each other. So he said, don't do anything until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did great things for God. Guys, I was saved at the age of 12, surrendered my life to preach at 16. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I grew up in a Baptist church, and they did not talk about the Holy Spirit. They never taught on him. He was, he was the God I never knew. 
until finally I read a book by Jack Deere called Surprised by the Spirit. And then I read another one after that, and then another one after that, and I began to realize the Holy Spirit was, was, was to be my, my life partner, my, my counselor. He was to be my comforter, and, and that he wanted to give me gifts and empower me to be able to do some things I couldn't do on my own. And so at the age of young 30s, I became filled with the Holy Spirit at the World Prayer Center over, over in uh, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I received a prayer language at that time, a prayer language that I used before I came out here in front of you to talk today, and I've used many, many times. Several years ago when, when uh, I, we had a pastor friend and his wife come to town from Oklahoma, and this man and his wife were totally filled with the Holy Spirit, and we took them on a normal route. We ran them up, ran them up on the Mesa and had lunch up on the Mesa, a little restaurant that used to be good up there, and we ate there, and then we, we went up to a little trailhead, and we walked back in for about a mile, and we prayed together as two couples, Anna and I and them. And after we got done praying, the, that, that pastor looked over at Anna and said, Anna, have you ever received your prayer language? And Anna said, no, I haven't. And he said, would you like to? And she said, yeah, I would. And we sat down on a log, and they so gently and so graciously began to pray over Anna. And we laid hands on her shoulders, and I grabbed hold of her hands, and we prayed that she would receive the Holy Spirit and that she would receive a prayer language and she began to pray in the Spirit right there on that log. Up and on the Mesa, she received her prayer language. In three weeks, Amelie Hooper, our pastor's wife, is going to begin a series of teaching on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights on receiving the Holy Spirits, receiving the gifts of the Spirits, receiving a prayer language. And for many of you like me that were kind of standoffish to this many, many years ago in my life, this is a, this, Amelie is a sanguine melancholy, so she's very personable and very meticulous. So she will very kindly and very graciously, not like beat it into you, but teach you about the Holy Spirit, about the nine gifts that are available to you, and then there will be ministry time to lay their hands on you and pray for you that you might be able to receive a prayer language in this life. Oh my gosh, guys, that is what makes this life awesome, is to do it filled with the Spirit. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you be drunk with wine? Yes, okay. Some of you answered that very confidently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Friday night. Will there be effects on you from being drunk with wine? Do those effects wear off? Okay. Can you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will there be effects on you from being filled with the Holy Spirit? Will those effects wear off? Yes, they will. If they didn't, you would do your entire life filled with the Holy Spirit once and imperfect. But they wear off. Be, to be filled means to continually be filled. Just like you got to continually drink wine to be affected by wine, you got to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be affected by the Holy Spirit. Man, all this teaching is going to be happening in three weeks by a precious teacher right here at the church. Up in the Two Rivers room is going to be awesome. Man, be filled with the Spirit. Be, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the fourth thing you need to do. You need to partner with God financially. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This right here. You know what you're going to need during the red zone. You're going to need some money. Men, do you know what you need if you're going to have a woman? money in your pocket because she's going to take it and you're going to need some more money, right? 
If you're going to make a marriage, I heard a man tell me not long ago, say, ah, money doesn't mean nothing to me. And this is why I said, well, then you're stupid. <laughs> because money matters. You're going to need money in this life or you're going to have a sucky red zone. You're going to need some money. So this is the best play I ever made. Everybody, Father, what is it you want? You want the first 10% of my income? Heck, there you go. You got it. And every dime God gives me, the first 10% is his. It makes sense to me. I'm going to partner with the one who owns it all, who is my heavenly father, who will give it to me and wants to. If I just give him back the first 10%, oh, that's one of the most significant plays Ann and I ever made in this life was to partner with God financially. If we had enough, we couldn't have afforded to come to Grand Junction. It has set the pace for everything else that we have ever done. Oh, my goodness. Fifth player, you ready for this? I'm going to have a great marriage. I'm going to have a great marriage partnership because this life is way too short for me to be stuck in a miserable marriage. And this is what Ann and I decided a long time ago. We are not going to have a miserable marriage. We're not going to waste time. We're not going to waste money. We're not going to waste months of our life. We're not going to waste a week. We're not going to waste a weekend in a miserable marriage. We are going to have a great marriage partnership. One of the cool things that I love about our church is that when you hear that there's a R&R with the Roseberries, you show up and give an entire investment of a Friday night and an all-day on a Saturday to pour into your marriage like over 90 husbands and wives did this last Friday and all day Saturday right here at our church. Because you know how important it is to have a great red zone. you got to have a great marriage. you got to have a great partnership. you just got to decide we're not going to do and make each other miserable in this life. So you tell me what your needs are. I'll tell you what my needs are. You speak your love language. Make it where I can understand it. I'll tell you mine. We'll talk in those that world to each other. We'll keep it personal. We'll keep it private. We'll keep it real. But it will be the top priority in our life because without a great marriage, we're not going to have a great red zone. We're not. And you work on it and you make it happen. Man, there is a verse here in the Bible, and I love this verse because it's so just... Flat out right there it is. And here it is right here in the Bible. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. It says, must love. Must love her as he loves himself. And the wife, everybody, read it, must her husband. Now, when the, when the Bible says, and Jesus said, you got to love your wife as I love the church. So first place. Basically, what that means is she's your MVP. Your wife has to be your MVP, most valuable player. You treat her like she is. You honor her like she is. You reward her like she is. Woo-hoo, she is a special walking in. She's your MVP. Now, when God said you must love your wife, is that a command? Everybody, come on, talk to me. Could it also be a fact? If you're going to have a great marriage, it's a command, you must love them, but you're not going to be a, have a great marriage if you don't love them, love her. You with me? So in other words, it is a command, but it's also a fact. He's just stating a fact. You want a great marriage? You have to love her as the MVP, right? Now, women, girls, sisters, the Bible said you must respect your husband. Is that a command? Could it also be a fact 
that if you don't, there is not a snowball's chance that you're going to have a good marriage on this planet. Well, I'll respect him. When he does something, it's worth me respecting him for. And can he only love you when you do things that are worth him loving you for? Uh Uh-uh. Because not only is it a command, it's a fact. You will not, ladies, have a great marriage if you don't speak respectfully to your husband. You go, I don't know if I like that or not. It doesn't matter. It's just a fact that your heavenly father told you. You want a great marriage? You must, must speak respectfully to your husband. And that has nothing to do with whether he feel like it or not. I got you all mad. Yeah, one man, one good man right there. I'll bet, I'll bet you're a Bronco fan too, aren't you? That's what I'm talking about. One brave soul in here, and you sat there and didn't say nothing, you big chicken. So let, me, let me ask you a question. Can I, can I just talk to you ladies? I'm, I'm going to help you girls out, if you'll just listen to me for a second. I'm, I'm going to help you out with something, okay? All right, are you, are you all ready for this? I want you, because I know you want a great marriage. I know you do. So I want to give you the best advice you'll ever get in your life when it comes to men. I want you to act like we are brothers and sisters, that I grew up in your house. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny, but, but I was protective of you. I taught you, and you would come to me when it came to guys, and you would go, Dan, I don't get it. They're driving me crazy. I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. I don't get men. I don't get it. And I was, okay, sis, sit yourself down. And let me give you the greatest lesson about men you will ever learn. You ready? You will have a great relationship with a man when you learn how to talk to him. Now you're thinking, I'll talk to him whenever we want. I feel like it. And how's that working out for you, sis? All you have to go easy. I love it. All you have to do is watch how men talk to men. That's all you have to do. Pay attention to how men talk to men. And if you do that, like, 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 like I might be down here to Bubba. Hey, Bubba, what's up, man? You, you looking good, I tell you what. I tell you. And I might, be making, I might make fun of them, right? But Bubba and I will not have a relationship if there's not respect in this relationship. You know why so many men come to our church? Because they know that the leadership of this church deeply respects them. Whatever you do for a living to earn a wage for your family, I don't care what it is. You can drive a truck for waste management. You can clean out porta potties. It doesn't make. You got one over here. Cool. Right on, brother. Come on. Best job on the planet. Number one, you're in the truck by yourself. Number two, you're your own boss. You know what I'm talking about? You set your, and you got great benefits, don't you? Now, let me tell you why we respect that. Because men will respect any man on this planet that has to do whatever they will do to provide for their family. And if you do that job and then pick up a clean-out porta potty job in the evening, we just respect you that much more. You know why? 
Because men know that if we don't respect one another, we don't have a relationship with one another. And you know why men come here? Because they know they're deeply respected by the men that are here. Now, if I have any man in my life, watch this, this is so any man in my life who I feel like does not respect me, who speaks to me in a disrespectful way, and men have that in every area of our life. We have it at work, don't we? We have it on the job. We have it in the neighborhoods. We will isolate ourselves from that other man. The wife will say, hey, why don't you call him up? Why don't you? Yeah, I'm good. Because men, when it comes to other men that disrespect us, we will push them out of our circle, and they will not get back in. You can be married to a supermodel. Listen to me, ladies. And if you belittle him or talk him down in any way, if you speak disrespectfully to him, I don't care what kind of cook you are, what you look like, or how well you clean the house. He will turn you off and he will move away. And some woman at his work that is nowhere close to your league will start speaking a term of respect to him and he will turn on to her and he will move into her. And you look at men all the time and go, how in the world would he cheat on her with her? It all had to do with the words that were coming out of her mouth versus the words that are coming out of yours. Oh, woo, man. That'll be $135 for that counseling lesson. <laughs> Let me give you the next one. The next great play. I want to hurry. I want to hurry. Serving God. Oh, my gosh. What are you going to do on this planet that's really anything more than polishing a brass railing on a Titanic if you're not serving God? What's well, providing for my family? Great. Polishing a brass rail on the Titanic It's providing for your family. That's the only thing that's going to matter. Let me give you another one, worshiping him. Oh, my gosh, Heavenly Father, I am a high-maintenance child of God, and you know it. And I'm coming back with a list again tomorrow that I need from you. But before I hit my knees tomorrow morning, I want you to know that I thank you, and I love you, and I'm so appreciative for the things that you have given me up to this moment. I have to worship you. That's why the emphasis on worship being 30, 35 minutes with one of the best bands of musicians on the Western Slope and Holy Spirit-filled people that are praying is so important in our church. And then finally, play number eight. I gotta tell others about them. Is that verse up there? Throw that verse up there. Oh my gosh. But my life is worth nothing. This goes on every letter that I write. This is my signature on every letter I send out from my email. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned me by the by Lord Jesus, the work of telling us about the good news, about the wonderful grace of God. I only have this to make sure my family's going to heaven. I cannot do anything over here for you when you're here. If I'm out here, I cannot help you here. I can only help you here get to here by telling you here about how to get to here. It's now or never. It's now or never. 
And I know talking to your loved ones about Jesus is awkward because they know you better than anyone and they throw that in your face. But Billy Graham, at the age of 95, by the way, Billy Graham is 97 years of age now. When he was 95, he did one of the most significant things that will live on past his life than anything else he ever did on this planet. He and his son produced a 29-minute video of him sitting in his house beside a fireplace talking to America, called a message to America. There are two people on there giving testimonies about one of them said, I hated God because God let my nephew or my cousin get beaten up by and killed by a stepdad. And How could a loving God let my little 12-year-old you know, get killed? I mean, she's talking, he's talking about drugs and women and everything he went through. And then, and then all of a sudden, they come to know Christ. And Billy Graham explains the message of the cross and the hope for America in a 29. We attached it to our Facebook page, and it is also linked to our, to our website here at the church. And all you have to do is simply say, go take a look at this. Let me send you this link. Go to our website. Go to Facebook and just click on that and just watch this. All you have to do is that for your loved ones, your family, no matter where they are in the country, and they're going to hear a message about the cross and about the love of Jesus Christ, hearing a couple of testimonies from some really hard-hearted people, and seeing 95-year-old Billy Graham sitting in his house talking about Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Knowing he's a breath or two away from going and meeting him himself. But if you don't do it here, you, you won't do it. You won't do it. Would you stand with me, please? I've got to in this red zone accept Christ as my personal Savior. I've got to be baptized because this world needs to know whose team I'm on. I must be filled with the Holy Spirit because I need that gift of discernment so that I can tell what's evil in the room versus what is not evil in that room. I've got to be filled. I've got to partner with God financially because he owns it all and I'm going to need some of it. I've got to tithe. I've got to have a great marriage because a bad marriage just really screws up the red zone. I've got to serve my Heavenly Father for me and my house. Or why am I still here after I'm saved? If I'm not going to serve him, why didn't he just take you home? Please tell me that. I've got to worship him. I've got to love him with every breath that I breathe. I've got to tell him how much I appreciate what he's done. And I've got to tell my loved ones about him. I've got to. The eight greatest plays you'll ever live in the red zone, which makes the red zone worth living from an eternal perspective. I want to ask you tomorrow morning when you, when you get up, I'm going to ask you to do two things that are on my heart, okay? Look at me for a second. I'm going to ask you that when you sit down and you have coffee with God tomorrow morning and I'm going to get up, I'm going to grab my Jesus calling, grab my Bible, I'm going to grab a coffee with God mug, I'm going to put some Maxwell House in it, put a little French vanilla cream in there, and we'll sit down in a chair And I'm going to let God know that his very high-maintenance child has come to talk to him. I'm going to thank him for what he's done, and then I'm going to start asking him some things. And here's what I want you to ask him tomorrow. I want you to pray that God would put his favor on your life. I want you to pray that God would put favor on you going to work, favor on you in that situation, favor on you in that relationship, favor on you in that financial 
choice or decision that you have to make, favor on you when it comes to the people that you meet that day, and then at the end of that day, I want you to sit down and evaluate what just happened to you that day. All because you just prayed, Father, put your favor, undeserved blessings on me today.